0: Good morning. Uh, My name is Abby, and our uh, scripture reading today comes from John chapter 5. Um, We'll start in verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I... And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do you think that I will accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote, but if you do not believe in his writings, how would you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Again, church, good morning and welcome. Uh, So glad that you're here with us today. My name is Nathan, one of the pastors. It's just a joy to be able to continue in our study of the book of John uh, together. Let me pray for us, and then we'll we'll do that. Father, we do pray that you would uh, meet with us in this moment, that you would reveal more of who you are through your word, more of who we are and more of our incredible need for you and the hope that we have in Jesus. Do that work, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, imagine being accused of a crime you didn't commit. You're innocent, uh, but nobody, nobody believes you, and so you just sort of wait for your trial to begin. The day finally comes, and you... Change out of your orange jumpsuit into something a little bit more presentable, and as you as you walk into the courtroom, you see the judge and the jury, uh, and you have to suppress the urge to run, cry, or throw up, or maybe a combination of all three, right? Because you know, like your fate is in their hands, and so you you take the stand. You bear witness, you testify about yourself, right? And you feel like you did a pretty good job. But you know nobody's going to believe only you, right? It's, it's your word against, against theirs. But you, you know that there are three key witnesses in your defense. Uh, the first witness is, is called to the stand. This is a friend of yours. And he me swears, and they, he gets grilled pretty hard uh, in this moment. But, like, you listen to this testimony. It's like, okay, this guy, like, he knows where I was. Like, your alibi is airtight. You hear every word he says, and you're like, okay, this is, it's fine. It's fine. It's good. like Like, you, you finally take a little bit of a deep breath, right? His testimony is so positive. Uh, the second, the second witness is all the the video footage uh, from the the crime itself, and so you and everybody else in the courtroom, you watch as it unfolds, and you're you're watching this, and it's like that's that is not me. Like that person looks nothing like me. There's nothing there that could possibly implicate me, and and so again, like this time, you like sit back in your chair, and you're like, okay, it's all right. It's gonna be okay. The third, the third witness is all the, the written evidence about you. And, and there, there's, no, there's no forensics, there's no DNA, there's no eyewitnesses, there's nothing. The case against you is so weak. And so you like, at this point, you, like you can't hardly uh, stop smiling as the jury leaves the courtroom to make their deliberations. It takes them about six seconds to make up their mind. They, in, they march back in, but this time, as they enter, you, you notice that, like, none of them are looking at you, and they all look surprisingly angry, even, even vindictive. And before you can even, like, take a breath, you hear the word guilty. You fall to your, your knees. You feel a range of emotions, right? Confusion, first of all. Like, were these people in the same courtroom that I was in? Grief over what your life, what you thought your life was going to be? An outrage, right? Like anger over such a deep miscarriage of justice. You are innocent. And, and you would know in that moment, like if you're, if you're thinking about this, like if that were to actually happen, like you would know like that there's some, there's some motivation they have against you that's stronger than the evidence for you, right? Like you would, you would know like there's got to be some bias, some, some personal vendetta against you that they'd already made up their mind long before the trial began and determined that you had to be Guilty. And when we get to these fairly difficult words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, if you're listening, it's kind of hard to follow, right? These, these words, this, this discourse that Jesus kind of goes through. That's, it. That's essentially what's happening there. Like, like Jesus is, is basically saying to the religious leaders, like, you've, you've put me on trial. I've given testimony to myself. Here are the three witnesses that speak on my behalf, and still you condemn me. You see, they're, they're so motivated to condemn Jesus that they've decided the verdict long before the trial began. They're so convinced that Jesus can't, He can't possibly be the answer that they're looking for, right? Or, or that, he's, that he's so gonna disrupt the life they think they want that they've already condemned him without even actually considering the evidence. And we're really not that different, are we? Which is, which is why I think John in, includes this story. Our motivations are different for rejecting, for like making our mind up beforehand that we don't want Jesus or we don't want what Jesus said or that, that one particular thing he said, right? We, the witnesses that we reject are sometimes different, but the outcome is the same. We reject Jesus And in the end, we are the ones who are condemned. And so the question we have to wrestle with today, really, whether you're a Christian or not, the question is, what will your verdict be? When it comes to Jesus, who he is, and everything he said, what will your verdict be? Because again, we can, we can reject, some of us just reject Jesus outright, right? We just, like, we want nothing to do with him. We're not actually going to consider him. We're not going to take him seriously, but we're just like, I know I don't want that. Like, whatever it is, it's going to, it's, I just, I know I don't want, or for others of us, like, we, you might, you know, call yourself a Christian, but you might still, like, pick and choose. Like, I like this part about Jesus, but this other stuff, man, I'm, what what he like, he couldn't have met me, right? And we kind of pick and choose, but again, we end up rejecting him. And so what will your verdict be? Turn to, turn to John chapter five if you haven't already. So it's it's sections like this. If you're listening to it, like it's sections like this. Jesus is teaching that you begin to understand uh, why he was murdered. Like nobody kills Jesus because of the miracles, right? They're not. That's like that's cool. Like we're okay with that, right? Or even some of the some of the things he said about loving your, your enemies or your neighbors or you know those kinds of things. Like, no, it's it's the way he talks about himself. That's what gets him killed. Now, now the first part of chapter five, you have to go back. So we we talked about that. That read was here. That was before Easter, the week before Easter. So this is all one long section of teaching, and so we kind of took a little break there for Easter. Um, so you kind of follow that. Uh, but that that first section of chapter five is Jesus's own testimony to the religious leaders. He he's he's on the witness stand. He's he's saying, you know, this is this is who I am, right? And instead of, instead of pleading the fifth, he takes a stand and declares that he has the same authority as God the Father, that he is the only source of life, and the ultimate judge of reality, okay? Like, so like massive claims, if you remember back in, in the early parts of chapter five. And so Jesus there, and even the way this passage began, like, Jesus declares himself to be the judge of the universe. And so there's, there's irony in this passage, because it's clear that the judge of the universe is the one who's on trial right? Or at least the religious leaders think that Jesus is the one on trial. And Jesus knows that they're not going to just believe his testimony about himself, which is why he says in verse 31, right? He said, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Like, it's not considered to be true. Like, nobody's going to believe me if I'm just the only one speaking, right? Like, if it's just me talking, of course no one's going to believe me. And so even, even think, of it, think of it this way. Like, imagine if you had a, had a friend who kept saying all these great things about love and forgiveness and the meaning of life. And it's like, that's, that's cool. Like, you know, it's inspiring to be around this person. But then, then all of a sudden, this same friend begins saying things like, you know, the Father and I are one. Like, God and I, were, we're the same. Um, and I, you should just know, I'm your only hope in life and death. Like, that's it. And ultimately, I'll be the, in, the judge of the world. Right? If that, if that were to happen... Like, I don't care how nice you are. You'd be like, ah, you know, friendship, we're, we're done, right? Because that person would be either incredibly insane or just deeply, deeply arrogant, right? That's like, there's no way you wouldn't want to be around that person. And, and Jesus understands that. Like, he, he knows that this is either crazy talk or it's unbelievable arrogance unless it's true. And so he's saying to them, the religious leaders, I know they're not going to just take my word for it. So let me call three witnesses to the stand. Witness number one, the weird, beautiful life. I'd like to call John the Baptist to the witness stand. You swear to tell the truth, et cetera, et cetera. And so Jesus says, right, verse 32, this is what he's doing. He calls three witnesses in a row. First, John the Baptist. Verse 32, he says, there is another who bears witness. Like, I've testified, I've told you who I am, you don't believe me, but there's another who bears witness about me, and I know that that testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Okay, so first, notice what Jesus is doing here, right? Because he's, he's not being defensive, even though he says some pretty harsh things to these ones trying to judge him, as, as he should. But like, notice what he's doing. He says very clearly, I say these things so that you may be saved. Like, I'm I'm confronting you, I'm rebuking you for your own good. So, like, whatever Jesus is doing here, whatever he's doing in your life and mine, it's always ultimately for our good, that you may be saved, that he may be our rescuer. But this, this witness here, so John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist was deeply respected by the people. Like, considered a prophet like Elijah. This is why, like, Jesus refers to him as a shining lamp. And that the people rejoiced in his light for a while, Right? And John, I mean, John's a weird dude, right? Like he would, re- not only like the, the eating the locusts, right, and living in the wilderness, um, but like the, he rejected like comfort, pleasure, prestige, like, like he could have been somebody, right? All the attention was on him, but he sacrificed all of that to point to Jesus. Which is even weirder than the locust thing, Right? To give up all of that for the sake of somebody else like john lived a weird beautiful life and this is the first witness that jesus points to and the reality is like there are other christians who bear this same kind of witness to jesus and i I know what maybe some of you are thinking like actually it's it's the testimony of other christians that make me not want to be a christian Maybe you feel that way. You look around, you see scandals within churches or, or power-grabbing kind of Christians, hypocrisy within the church. People who claim to follow Jesus and look nothing like him. I won't deny that. Some of us are terrible witnesses. But not all. So don't, don't look at those who pretend. Look at the weird, beautiful lives of those who truly follow Jesus. Jesus. Because this is what we're called to. I think we forget this sometimes, that like every Christian, like it's supposed to be weird. Like you're not supposed to fit in. Like if you if you look exactly like your non-Christian neighbors or classmates or coworkers, like you're doing it wrong, right? We're supposed to be weird. But beautiful, right? And our love, our forgiveness, our self-sacrifice, our humility, our forgiveness, our hope. And so if you're if you're not weird, You're probably not following Jesus. And if you're just weird, but not beautiful, you're probably just weird, right? It's also not who we're supposed to be, right? Just to be clear. Instead, I think about the example of somebody like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Maybe that's such an extreme example. It doesn't help. I don't, I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about Bonhoeffer lately. He's one of the heroes of my faith. I thought of him a lot just with the stuff going on in Europe, uh, as well as our family just finished watching the 14-hour Ken Burns documentary on World War II, and so there's just a lot of that. But like, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Pastor Bonhoeffer, he lived a weird, beautiful life. He was, he was deeply shaped by the black church in New York. But he intentionally left America as things were heating up in, in Germany to go back home to his people because he wanted to speak out of it, against the, the evils, the, the injustices beginning to, to, to be on, on the forefront there as, as the Nazis gained power. Like he went back into that on purpose. And sadly, like if you know your history, like many of the Christians in Germany were swept up by Christian nationalism and stood alongside Hitler and the Nazi party. And just said, okay, yeah, Germany's more important. Like, which is shameful, right? And, and Bonhoeffer, though, like he preached against that. Like he gathered a community of people of, of Christians there who said, no, that is not, that is not what Jesus calls us to, and, and lived a very, very different life. He actually even was, was a part of a plot to try to overthrow Hitler, like an assassination attempt. I mean, he's kind of like, you know, Pastor James Bond, basically. It's... Pers- so you can see why I admire him as a pastor. I, like, I want to be this guy when I grow up. Except for the end, right? Because I'm 42. He was executed at age 39. Like, a month before the war ends, he was executed by his own government. Not unlike John the Baptist, right? And Bonhoeffer's final words, the guards that led him to the gallows, were these. He said, this is the end for me, the beginning of life you imagine? That is a weird, beautiful life. That's the witness of John the Baptist. That's the witness of others, right, who are truly trying to follow Jesus. Not perfect people, right, but who are those people in your life bearing witness to Jesus of Nazareth, not, not pretending to follow him, but actually seeking to follow him? Will you hear their testimony? What would your verdict be? Okay, John, you can take the seat. And now i like the jury to consider witness number two, the supernatural. This is where Jesus goes next, like the evidence of a world of more. Like for us, it's the, the things in our lives and in our world that you just can't explain in a science lab. This is essentially where, where Jesus goes next. Look at verse, verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. So this is, he's calling the second witness. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Again, you can see why he got killed, right? Right? Like, imagine telling the most powerful religious people of that day, which would have been some of the most powerful people in their culture, saying directly to their face, just so you know, you've never seen God, you've never heard from God, and you are far from God, all because you have not recognized me. Yikes, right? But you see, what what Jesus is saying here is that God himself is on the witness stand. Like he's pointing to the works that, that Jesus is doing, the, the miracles. Like he's saying, like, do you see the stuff that I'm, I'm able to do? Like, isn't that proof that God is on my side? Only God can do that. Like, he's going back. Like, remember the, the guy who couldn't walk for 38 years? Right? Remember him? Remember the other, the other miracles? Like, those things, that's what Jesus is saying, those things bear witness to who I am, that God Himself testifies about me. And I know, we, we in the 21st century, we get so uncomfortable talking about, like, the supernatural, don't we? It's like we love a good ghost story, but we don't believe any of that stuff, right? We just, we push, we push it away. Even when it comes, even for us as, as Christians, we just feel very uncomfortable by any evidence of something that we can't quite explain. And yet, we all live as if there's more, don't we? I mean, it's certainly great if we could just all see our own individual Miracle from Jesus, you know, wouldn't that be great? Like, you get a miracle, and you get a miracle, and you get a miracle. And, I mean, that, that'd make it a lot easier, right? And for some of you, I know you, you have those stories, right? Some of you, you could tell experiences that you've had where you know that God has shown up in your life. But even if you don't have those, the evidence is all around us. Evidence of the supernatural, evidence of God's work, evidence of things that we just can't quite explain. Let me, let me mention three of them. And these are just kind of my three favorites. There's not some like exhaustive list here. But as I, as I deal with my own doubts, because people I do, I, you know, the Dostoevsky quote is one of my favorites. My Hosanna is born in a furnace of doubt. I love that. That's me, right? I, I deal with all of this. But there are three things that I go back to when I think about this stuff, right? First of all, love. Like, is there anything more powerful, any more, anything more miraculous in the universe than love? is it really just a chemical reaction in our brains? Is that it? Like there's not a person in this room who lives as if that's true, right? It bears witness to something more in our world. Second, I often think about longing or beauty, right? Or or, or meaning, right? This this inescapable sense that our lives actually count for something, right? You can't can't escape it. That unquenchable longing you have for more or, or the ways in which like beauty strikes us us. I mean, scientists wrestle with this one as as well, because there's not really a a good evolutionary explanation for a lot of these things. Look at this headline from 2019, uh, a New York Times magazine article, how beauty is making scientists rethink evolution. The extravagant splendor of the animal kingdom can't be explained by natural selection alone. How did it come to be? One of the examples they give, it's a great article, uh, one of the examples they give is the bowerbird Maybe you've heard of this guy, um, or maybe he's he's made an appearance in some of the like the newer like Planet Earth kind of shows, right? So this is this bird, uh, like spends a significant amount of his life decorating his nest, and there's no there's no explanation for it. like gather he'll fi- find all these different objects like he spends all and then he organizes them in certain in certain orders and, and like like the, the only the only explanation. Is that he just he likes it that way. He likes his nest pretty. That's it. Like that's the best we can come up. But this guy should be dead, right? If, if it's purely natural selection, he spends so much of his life, so much of his calories instead of protecting himself, instead of procreating, decorating, right? Because he likes it pretty. Like, simply for beauty's sake. And that, like, there's no explanation in the way beauty makes us feel, right? The way it gives us a sense of significance and meaning. There's just no explanation for it. That's the second one. Third, third one for me is justice, right? And We all feel this. We have an innate sense of justice. Like, why is it wrong for Russians to kill, kill civilians? Why? I mean, anybody? Like, why is rape wrong? Animals do that all the time. Why, why is human trafficking Wrong, right? Why is it wrong to do, we, like we all have this innate sense that it's wrong, but the reality is, without God, justice is nothing more than personal preference established by the most powerful. Whatever your culture says is wrong is what we say is, that's all it is, right? It's personal preference. But nobody lives as if that's true, right? Like that would, that would devolve into absolute chaos and anarchy. Like, we cannot live like that. And these things, they all bear witness to a world of more, like evidence of the supernatural. This is why I'm convinced that, uh, that Stephen King is doing the Lord's work. Uh, might be an overstatement, but I, lo- I do love, I love Stephen King. Um, he just even looks terrifying in that picture, doesn't he? Looks like one of his own monsters, actually. Uh, but like his books are all the same. I've read way too many of them. Uh, but they're all the same, right? They're like real good and real evil and some supernatural element and, and battle together. But what I love about, like, when I read him, is like, it's always like, oh, man, maybe there is more in our world, right? Like even as a Christian, even as a pastor, sometimes we, we forget that. He makes it a little bit plausible to believe in something that we cannot quite explain, I think I think Jesus and Stephen King would be friends, all right? Because Jesus is saying, "Just look around, look at the works I've done. Look at the evidence of God in our, in our world, in our lives. Do you not see it? And so what will your verdict be? And then finally, the third witness, Jesus calls to the stand the scriptures which might feel a bit anticlimactic for some of us. Like, man, why would he go there, right? It means nothing to some of us, right? But think about how compelling this should have been for the religious leaders who spent their entire lives studying the scriptures, right? Everything for them was built on the scriptures. And the audacity of what Jesus says in this next section, he says, this book, if you want to know what it's about, you've been studying it your whole life, if you want to know what it's about, it's about me. And if you fail to see me in it, you miss everything. I mean, yeah, again, you know why Jesus got killed, right? Verse, verse 39, look what he says. He says, You search the scriptures, because you think in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. It's like, I don't have to do that. I don't have to be your accuser, right? I don't have to be your prosecutor. There's one who is your prosecutor. His name is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Again, pretty strong words, right? And there, there's a strong warning, I think, in here for those of us who are who are Christians. It's not it's not the main thing that Jesus is saying, but I I, I want to at least draw it out just for just for a second because, like many of us, really love this book, as we should, right? I've you know I went to seminary studying this book. I have given my life to proclaiming it, to, to teaching it. I love I love this book, and many of us do, and we love you know studying our Bibles and all that, and all that is really really good. Like, don't stop doing that. But Jesus makes it really clear: if that's all it is, it's empty. If it's if it's purely for, for Bible knowledge, for theological fact, Jesus said, actually, life is in me. And if, if all of your study doesn't lead you to love Jesus more and obey him more and love your neighbor more, what Jesus is saying is that it's actually you're actually damning yourself by doing that. And so just just like a, a little note, right? We we love this book and we should love this book. But Jesus doesn't just want your Bible knowledge, he wants your whole being. Now maybe now maybe though if you're if you're not a Christian. Like maybe, maybe you're thinking, okay, fine, Jesus, but like why should I care about the scriptures? Like I've already kind of dis- discarded them. Well, let me just let me give two quick reasons here why this is so important, why this gives good evidence for Jesus. One is the Old Testament, and two is the New Testament, okay? So the Old Testament, first of all, that was written centuries before Jesus. And yes, it is, it is the longer and often harder of the two Testaments to read. But what does Jesus say? It's all about him, and so at the very least, right? You should at least know, like Jesus is either incredibly arrogant or deeply insane, uh, unless unless this is it's true, right? This claim that he makes. And actually, the reality is, when you read the Old Testament through this lens that Jesus gives us of saying that it's all about me, actually, the, the Old Testament begins to make a whole lot more sense, right? And the amount of prophecy and imagery and early theology, ultimately and very clearly pointing to Jesus, written centuries before him, like all of that is a really compelling witness. That when you read when you read the Old Testament and you see it building finally to the Lamb of God, right, Jesus of Nazareth, it's a very compelling witness that Jesus actually is who he says he is. So that's that's the Old Testament. the Second, in the New Testament. Um, Like, if you're curious about Jesus, if you're curious about what it means to be a Christian or why we go to church, uh, read the New Testament. Like, these are the accounts of those who actually knew Jesus, like the the eyewitnesses of people who saw Jesus die and then saw him alive again. And so if you want to do that, like, maybe start with the Gospel of John. That's what we've been studying together as a a church. After that, maybe go to the book of Acts, right? Um, Or maybe just read the whole New Testament. It's, It's shorter than most Stephen King books, so you can probably handle it. So these are, these are the three witnesses that Jesus calls to the stand. And he, he looks right at the religious leaders, essentially. He looks at every one of us and says, So what's, what's your verdict? What will it be? And for, for the religious leaders, like, there's no amount of evidence that could convince them. And that's, that's clear, right? Like Their minds are already made up, for they know that if they accept Jesus, it will cost them too much. He, he'll disrupt their lives, their power, their comfort. He doesn't fit into their cultural narratives of what they think they want. And they know that it's just, it would be easier to just kill him than crown him. Right? We think we're so different. But again, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we've rejected Jesus, some of us. Right? Or parts of Jesus. Not because we've actually considered the evidence, but because we just don't want it to be true. Like, it's, it's too disruptive to our lives. The things he says, are, it's, it's too hard, right? Or it's going to alienate you from certain people, or, or you don't, it's going to create a different image for yourself. Or you just don't want to be the, the weird, beautiful one. You may be beautiful, but you don't want to be the weird one, right? And for some of us, we'd rather blindly dismiss him than actually truly consider him. So what, what about you? Where are you at in that? I think, I think there are four possible verdicts we can give. Let me just walk through those real quickly. And you can kind of find where you're at on this, this spectrum. First, you can reject the evidence. Like, but actually consider it. Okay, not, just, not just think you've considered it, but actually look into these things that Jesus claimed to be and to do. And to say, I, I, to decide consciously, I don't believe it, right? Like, if you do that, at least, at least you've been honest, right, with yourself and with Jesus. And I think he deserves at least that, okay? That's, that's one. You can reject it. Second, you can, you can ignore the evidence, which is really the same as rejecting it, but it makes us feel better about ourselves, right? Because nobody wants to cancel Jesus, right? You don't want to do that. We'd rather just sort of passively ignore him, not really consider him, but still end up rejecting him. That's the second thing. It's really the same as the first, but nonetheless. Third, Third, you can explore the evidence. Because maybe, maybe you're not ready to make a verdict. But you also, maybe, maybe you recognize, you know what, I, I've been rejecting or I've been ignoring all this. Um, not because I've, I'm, I'm consciously saying I don't believe it, because I just don't, I don't want it to be true, or there's some, some cultural discomfort that comes with it if you actually do believe it, right? And you're beginning to realize, like, I don't want to reject him simply out of passive indifference, right? Or simply out of my own cultural biases against him. And so if, if, that, if that's you, if you're willing to explore more, I mean, first of all, you can keep coming here, right? You're certainly welcome. I mean, we'd love to have you. Like, this is a safe place for us to wrestle with doubts and questions and faith and why we continue to do this. This is what we do every week, honestly. We, we talk about Jesus and how he matters to our lives and to our world. And so we'd love, love to have you be a part of it. You can join a Bible study, uh, not for Bible knowledge, right, but to actually see and, and know who Jesus is. Read the Bible for yourself. If you don't have one, especially like in a readable translation, we have them on the communion tables in the back. We'd love to be able to give you one to, to read that for yourself. Uh, you can also pick up the, the Formed Life journal. Uh, we have a new one of those uh, there's in the lobby Uh, if you're not familiar with that you grab the journal uh, or you can also sign up online and this is designed by us as a church to help you read your bible to pray to engage in other uh, christian disciplines so if you just need like a little bit of help and encouragement and accountability you can do that uh, as well and that new journal goes with our new series so today is the end of john it's not really the end uh, we're just taking a little break, so we're going we're gonna to be back in John in the summer, we'll Be back in about June. We're going to take seven weeks in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, which some of you are like, that's not a real book in the Bible. Um, it is. It's actually probably the darkest book. Well, maybe Judges, but it is pretty dark, and I love it. It's so good. So uh, we're going to do that for a few weeks, but the, the Form Life journal goes with that. But these are ways that you can keep like exploring the evidence, not just push it aside, not just assume that it's not true, but keep journeying with us. That's the third option. And then fourth, fourth of course, right? Um, we can build our lives on the evidence. And I didn't just say accept the evidence or believe the evidence, even though I think that's what the scriptural writers mean when they say those words, right? But build our lives there. Like not just the things we like about Jesus, but all of Him, receiving all of us, and follow Him, become one of the weird, beautiful ones. Begin to see the wonder and beauty, like, of our of our universe, right? infused with God everywhere. And see Jesus as you open his word in all places. Build here. And if that's our verdict, I mean, church, the irony is, again, Jesus is the judge, not us. And so the irony is, like, we've been talking as if we're the ones putting Jesus on trial, but the reality is you and I are the ones on trial, right? And I don't know if you know this, but we're guilty. Like, like super guilty, right? And even, even just think about the, the various witnesses against you. Let me call witness number one, every thought you've ever had, ever. Again, this is one of my favorite exercises. We all think we're good people until we imagine if everybody could read your thoughts all the time, right? And then we would know. Like, even the people closest to you would be deeply hurt by you, right? Witness number two, every word you've ever spoken. Just think, just even go back through this past week, right? Even the ways that we, we hurt the people we love the most with our words, don't we? And we do it so often. Maybe think about your last tirade on social media or the last time you were cut off in traffic. Like let's let's call those things to the witness stand. Witness number three, every broken desire you've ever had. Greed, envy, rage, contempt for people who see the world differently than you, judgmentalism, lust, gossip. How long do you really think it's gonna take this judge to make his verdict? This is why it's called good news. Because this judge actually receives our punishment. The death, the death that we deserve, you and I, for our rebellion against God, for our continual, the continual self-destructive and selfish paths that we take. He takes the punishment upon himself. And his verdict, if, if you're with him, you're, his verdict is already decided. And it's that you are you are loved. You are whole. Like His only word for you is 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 redemption, right? Transformation, hope. Like this this is who we are because of what He's done. He's died for you. He's rose again for you, and He offers life to you. And so, friend, what will your verdict be? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so glad that when you look at my life um, and the brokenness, the mistakes, the shame that I feel, God, the sins that I've committed just even the, the last 24 hours, um, that your word over me is accepted that you've stepped in my place, and that you've, you offer to do that for anyone who puts their their hope, their trust, their life in your hands, and that, God, as a result, that you have nothing but delight to speak over us, that there is there's no condemnation left for us, for Jesus took all of it upon us. And so we give you thanks, and God, I just, I pray that for those here this morning, maybe who are just wrestling through what their verdict is going to be when it comes to you. Lord, I just, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Do that in ways that we can't even explain. God, I pray that they would see who you are and be drawn in by your love and your goodness, your compassion for them. That you do that work, we pray. And Lord Jesus, now as we um, prepare to come to the Lord's table, uh, let's pray together uh, the Lord's prayer. If you don't know, it's going to be on the screen for us, but let's pray these words as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power of and the glory forever and ever.